Uh, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Uh, Romans 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. Paul writing here to the Romans and to all of us. He says, uh, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Or do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things doing, and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each man according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, they seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be indignation and wrath and tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. With that, let's pray. Lord, we look to you today, and Father, we are thankful that, Lord, we live in a country that we have freedom. And there have been many, Lord, that have paid that price, they have given their service, Many have paid the ultimate price with their lives. And Lord, we thank you for that. We pray for those in uniform today. Lord, as they're stationed around the world, that Lord, you would watch over them, that you would protect them. Lord, we pray for those individuals who have, Lord, been in combat, suffering PTSD as we saw what took place, Lord, in California this week. Lord, we pray for these souls. And Lord, we know that you're the answer. Lord, when you come into the heart, you come into the life. Lord, you bring a peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, uh, we realize that until we really come to you, Lord, we're fighting our own war. Lord, we're fighting against you. Lord, and we thank you for the great sacrifice of the cross here today. Lord, that whereby you welcome all to put their faith and trust in that sacrifice for our sins, to receive, Lord, the wonderful gift of redemption and salvation, the freedom that we have in Christ. So, Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, our fellowship. Lord, as we lift our voices in praise and worship, we thank you for your presence here this morning. And, Lord, we ask you to, Lord, take your word now and to apply it. Uh, apply it into our hearts and into our lives. We're, we're truly grateful, Lord, uh, 
for your love and your patience with us. I pray that, Father, as we, Lord, also read these verses, that, Lord, we would receive instruction from them. Lord, we'd not be harsh with other people, but we'd be patient and kind and gracious, Lord, as you are with us. So, Lord, we commit this time to you and ask you, Lord, to Lord, meet with us now. We, we open our hearts and we open our lives to you. Lord, may you deposit, may you speak into us the blessed and glorious truth that we find here before us. For, Lord, we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, you know, Paul wrote uh, in another place, and that's where we drew our title from, where he says, judge nothing before the time. And he was speaking here to the Corinthians over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, relative to the fact that they were judging Paul. Uh, they were judging Paul. They were being critical of him. Um, and, uh, and so he writes, you know, as he, as he you know, no doubt hears about that, he writes back and, and he mentions this when he says, uh, but with very small thing that I should be judged by you or even by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. In other words, he was saying I'm not overly critical of myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. And he says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts that each one will have, each one's praise will come from God. So as we come here to this second chapter, uh, Paul's dealing with something that's very intrinsic uh, to human nature, and that is our tendency to criticize other people, uh, to find fault with them and with the things that they do, uh, to maybe judge them. And even if maybe, maybe we're not speaking this in an, in an exterior kind of way, in an outward way to other people, we can be doing this in our hearts. Uh, and it's something that will really truly make your life miserable if you find yourself uh, you know, criticizing other people, judging things. And, we, and, and again, it's intrinsic to human nature. We, we all have this tendency uh, you know, to maybe uh, judge people, to want to help them or correct them, to be overly critical. It can express itself, I think, in many different ways. And I think it's easy, you know, in a sinful world, because as we look around the world, there's a lot of things that just simply aren't right around us. And sometimes as Christians, because, you know, we've experienced the righteousness of Christ, you know, sometimes we can um, be maybe perhaps a little bit self-righteous as we look at other people, as we look at some of the things that are going on, you know, in our world today. But the thing about, I think, being critical, it's, it's born out of basically a, a self-righteous or a proud you know, type of spirit. Uh, you know, uh, it's basically communicating in some kind of way that I'm, you know, I'm somewhat, I'm better than you or I'm better than that. Um, and it's easy, I think, sometimes to judge people that we maybe deem in, worse, in a worse situation uh, or of a worse character than ours. Uh, and sometimes doing that, in doing that, we can feel good about ourselves. Um, but that's a, sad, that's a sad state of affairs when we have to, uh, that's why the Bible tells us at some point, I forget, uh, I think it is in Corinthians, maybe 2 Corinthians, Paul says there, don't compare yourself with one another. Uh, what we need to do is compare ourselves with the Lord. Um, and we're all going to come short. Because uh, the danger sometimes is comparing ourselves with one another is that there may be something going on in my life, and so because I don't want to change, I look at that other person, I say, well, at least I'm not doing that, you know, at least I'm not that bad, you know, type of thing. And of course, that's a dangerous uh, and a wrong attitude for us to have. 
And remember Jesus said in the famous Sermon on the Mount over in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and I'll read it to you. He says, judge not that lest you be judged. Now, what he's speaking about is judging people in a condemning kind of way. Um, you know, looking down our noses at people and condemning them uh, for whatever it is that might be going on in their life. Um, he says, for with what judgment you judge, you will, you will be judged, and with the measure you use towards other people, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Jesus says here, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so again, it's so easy to see the imperfections uh, and, and the problems in the life of someone else. Uh, but it's amazing, too, whenever I find myself, and I, again, this is something that's sort of uh, endemic to human nature, I find myself within my heart and thinking, uh, criticizing someone else for something um, that's maybe less, you know, lower th than the standard that maybe, you know, we should be living at as Christians. As soon as I start thinking that, the Lord starts showing me something in my life. Uh, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit can kind of do that, just sort of show you, uh, you know, some, you know, somebody once said, you know, whenever you point a finger, there's three of them pointing back to you. And, and the Holy Spirit uh, has a way of interestingly kind of making that happen, uh, where he just, you know, remember, God is light. And uh, he flashes his light upon those darkened areas, you know, of our lives because he's shaping and molding us, making us more and more uh, like him. Now, his point here as we come into these verses, um, there is no excuse when we come to this matter of fault finding and being critical. Um, you know, there was a guy who was driving to work and uh, uh, as he arrived, <coughs> as he was going to his office, uh, he says, I noticed a woman driving 50, 65 miles an hour with her face up next to the rearview mirror, putting on her eyeliner. Did you ever see anything like that? I looked away, and the next thing you know, she was halfway in my lane, still putting on the makeup. And as a man, I don't scare easily, but she scared me so much, I dropped, I dropped my electric shaver, <laughs> which knocked the donut out of my other hand. And in all the confusion of trying to straighten out my car, using my knees as on the steering wheel, I knocked my cell phone away from my ear into my coffee that was between my legs. <laughs> Ruined the phone, soaked my trousers, and disconnected an important call. All because of that crazy woman driver. <laughs> I don't know about you, what is it about driving a car that brings out the worst in people? I mean... It seems like every month or whatever we, he we, we hear about some road rage, you know, incident where, you know, somebody goes ballistic, uh, somebody gets hurt, somebody gets thrown in jail, or somebody even gets killed. And there's something, you know, something about driving uh, that, uh, you know, we're so intent on, you know, getting there, we don't want anybody to get in our way. And then when people jump in line in front of us in, in a car, how, you know, it's like, hmm, you know, we have our little adjectives that come to mind. Um, you know, there was one time this guy cut me out so bad. I just took my wheel, and I could tell he was looking at me in the, in the, in the window, in the mirror. And he's looking at me, and I went like this. You know? <laughs> I could have killed us all, but I'm just... 
Uh, I'm, I'm looking at him, what are you doing? But here I have got my hands off the wheel. And, um, but in verse 1 he says, Therefore you're an excusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge and whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, you who judge. Practice the same things. And again, we may be especially, you know, I think, uh, guilty of condemning or being critical of somebody else. But you know what? It's something interesting that when we see them wearing our sin, isn't that interesting? When we see them, you know, wrestling with something that we wrestle with, it's interesting how sometimes we can be so instantly critical, you know, because maybe, maybe we've even gotten victory, you know, in that particular area of our life, and so we see somebody else wrestling with it, and we can become critical about that. Uh, and I think sometimes we become critical of somebody else doing something because we do it maybe to a lesser degree. Again, that's a comparison thing. I do it to a lesser degree, so I'm not as guilty as that guy. And that's a dangerous kind of thing because we find ourselves simply, you know, being critical of another person. And, uh, you know, it's amazing, too, how we can develop, you can develop a negative attitude, a negative disposition, if you find yourself having that tendency to be a critical, uh, fault-finding kind of person. And, and I think, again, I think we can all do it, but I think sometimes, you know, we may have a tendency to do it a little bit more than the next guy. And I think it's a dangerous place because, again, I think we become very negative uh, in our outlook um, and the thing that I find out about faith, you know what? Faith is positive because faith believes what God can do in a situation or in, a, or in the worst case scenario of a person's life. God can change that. And I think it's important that we have, in a sense, that, fit, that disposition of faith because it really is positive because it looks to God that God is the God of the impossible, that he can change any circumstance, any situation. Um, and we need to be, I, th I think, reminded of that. Uh, now, he says in verse 2, that we know the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And the thing we know also about man's judgment, even the experts, even the judges, whether it's from the Supreme Court, federal Supreme Court, or the state Supreme Court, uh, on down through the circuit judges and the magistrates and all that sort of thing, so often you find that their judgment is faulty and unfair. We hear about every year, maybe two, about some poor soul that spent, you know, 20 years or 30 years in prison uh, because of a wrong verdict. You know, maybe he just didn't have enough money to, you know, uh, to hire the best lawyer and that sort of thing. So the poor soul, you know, ended up doing maybe 15, 20, or 30 years. We hear this from time to time. But when we consider God's judgment, you know what? It's perfectly accurate. Perfectly accurate all the time. Because why? It's simply according to truth. And it's according to the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. And whenever God has to maybe deal with an issue in our life, that it's according to truth. That, that he is working out, he sees all the, you know, the thing is, you know, when we judge, we don't see all the facts. How many times have we made maybe um, a preemptive kind of, a, you know, judgment about something, and afterwards we came to realize that we were totally off base, we were totally wrong. But you know, when God makes a judgment about something, he does it according to truth, because he's God. Nothing can be hidden, hidden from him. Everything the Bible tells us is what open and naked. Everything is transparent uh, to him to whom we must give an account. And so God sees clearly, he sees perfectly um, in these whole matters. Now, another question arises when we talk about this matter of judgment. Um, 
are we able to make any judgments at all? And the answer to that is yes. Oh, do we have the air conditioning on back there? Because I'm even cold. I, I see the ladies burying themselves under, the, under their coats here and putting their earmuffs on. And it's far and few between when I get cold. And I'm up here thinking, ooh. Okay, thank you. The Lord put it this way in John chapter 7 regarding this matter of uh, do we make any type of judgments whatsoever? And Jesus put it like this. He says, he says, do not judge according to appearance, which is very accurate. But he says this, but judge with righteous judgment. In other words, all the time in life, you and I are making evaluations. Okay, we're looking at situations. Um, and we, we want to make sure we don't judge according to appearance or some kind, of, some kind of bias that we may have. But he says, if we're going to make judgments, we need to make righteous judgments. You know, over in chapter uh, 2, uh, Paul says this. He says, but he who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. And if, if perhaps maybe, uh, uh, let's see, he says, he who is spiritual judges all things. You could also put the word in their discernment. But the fact is that we're always making assessments, evaluations, appraisals. You make, in a sense, an evaluation, an appraisal of who you're going to fellowship with. What, what church were you going to go? Uh, you make an evaluation, whether it's you're, going to, you're going to homeschool your child, you're going to put your child in Christian school, or you're going to allow your child to be in a certain public school. We go through life each and every day making appraisals, uh, you know, as far as, you know, certain kinds of judgments and that sort of thing. But they're not condemning judgments. And we're to make those kinds of things. If we're going to really discern according to the Spirit, uh, we need to make the right appraisals. And the Holy Spirit will help us in that. So, you know, when, when sometimes uh, you, you've heard, uh, when you make a, may, maybe make an assessment about a situation, you're not condemning it, but you're making an assessment, someone shot back at you, judge not, lest you be judged. Well, basically, they're using that verse out of context. Because we're not condemning people, but as spiritual people, we need to make appraisals. Uh, we need to be discerning about things. We need to be very careful uh, to evaluate things maybe before maybe we get involved in a particular situation. So, so it's very important. Yes, we, will, we do make judgments, but the judgments here that he's speaking about is those that are condemning. Um, those are being critical, um, you know, censoring you know, everything that doesn't need to be censored. Now he says in verse 3, do you think this, O man, that you who, that you who judge uh, those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now he's talking about basically this harshness that we may have toward other people. And sometimes when we have this censoring, critical, judgment, judgmental kind of spirit, um, that uh, it may indicate hypocrisy that there's a certain kind of hypocrisy. And again, sometimes, because when we see maybe our sin or the sin we're struggling with in the life of someone else, we come down on it harshly because we know it's wrong. Have you ever been in a legalistic situation? Legalistic people can be very hypocritical, railing on certain kinds of things, but yet allowing all kinds of other things that take place you know, in their life. I was reading this week about a politician. I'm not going to mention his name. Um, he was, he was a, a, a senator, um, and uh, he had even uh, some anti-gay legislation, um, you know, regarding his position um, uh, about those matters. Uh, but when he went on tour, a speaking tour, 
Uh, he had just had some kind of a operation and he needed to hire somebody to carry his luggage. But why did he go to a male prostitute homosexual website to find somebody to carry his luggage? And of course, uh, it all came out afterwards that he had been having a relationship uh, with this young man um, and it basically became his dismissal. I was reading also too about a Baptist pastor and I'm not gonna mention his name either. Uh, but the fact of the matter is um, uh, he would oftentimes preach um, about the whole matter of homosexuality and so forth and against it. And, uh, and then finally, uh, four young men came forward uh, with their lawsuits against him that he had been having a homosexual relationship with those four young men. The Bible says you can be sure your sin will find you out. Um, and it's the Holy Spirit, isn't it, in our lives that sometimes we can be hypocritical about things and we don't even realize it. And yet he flashes his light, he shows his light, you know, you know into our lives about certain things um, and reveals to us some area where we're inconsistent. Uh, but it's basically hypocrisy. You know, we're saying one thing, we're living another. And that's one thing oftentimes has been a charge, I think, thrown against Christians, that they're saying one thing, they're professing one thing, but their lives are totally inconsistent with what their message is. Uh, and basically, that's hypocrisy. It was like the guy who uh, pulled into the gas station, and uh, he was getting his car filled up, and he asked the attendant uh, to wash his windshield. He washed his windshield, and uh, as soon as he was done, the guy said, it's still dirty. And uh, the attendant wanted to be a good uh, guy, uh, looked very carefully, any bugs or anything was on the windshield, and he did it all over again. And the guy began to fume, and he said, it's still dirty. Uh, and he's saying to his wife, well, you know, what is wrong with this guy? Can't he even clean a windshield? And, and uh, uh, he cleans it again. He, he, the young guy cleans it again, and he's about to get out of the car and go in and tell the boss uh, that he ought to fire this young man when his wife says, honey, let me see your glasses. She took, shook his glasses off and cleaned them up and put them back on, and he slunk down in his seat. And I think sometimes we, too, are kind of like that guy that our, our spiritual glasses can be dirty. And, you know, what, I've discovered this, that sometimes when we have an issue in our lives, we tend to project it out on other people. Have you ever noticed that in your life? When you have an issue, you tend to project that issue out um, into the situation or into the conversation uh, or, you know, to other people and, and that sort of thing. And I think it's important that we keep our spiritual glasses clean that we don't allow there to be that film. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things, you know, one of the things, you know, one of the stories in the Bible of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is that was a custom that whenever you arrived in someone's house to host um, would make sure that your feet were clean because it was simply, you, there was no sidewalks, there was no paved road, everything was dust. And, uh, and I think, I think for you and I, as we go through life in our daily kind of way, there's a lot of dust. There's a lot of dust in this world that simply settles on us. And it's important, uh, you know, that, you know, we're getting before the Lord and we're getting cleansed. You know, we're getting cleaned, that we're not, you know, seeing, you know, the dirt and the th issues of our own lives and projecting them out to other people. But I think also, too, there's something I want to say here. Before we dismiss every critic, 
I think it's important for us to ask ourselves, is there any truth in their criticism? And again, there, there may be somebody that's overly critical. That's, he's, that's, that's criti critical about everything. But I think there are some criticisms that can be justified. And I think it's important that we, you know, that we you know, are open to that, that the Lord would speak into our heart. Is that person making an honest evaluation of the situation? Are they making an honest evaluation of me? Remember Nathan and David? God sent Nathan to David because David wouldn't deal with the issues. He wouldn't deal with those issues. And they were big issues. Uh, remember, God sent Paul to Peter. Remember when they were in Antioch and there was some hypocrisy going on in the life of the great apostle Peter? When he would eat with the Gentiles? When there was no Jews from Jerusalem there, but when the Jews from Jerusalem came, he, he separated and, and Paul called them on the carpet for it. So I think, it's, I think it's honest that, you know, if there is some criticism coming to us, and sometimes you can come. So, you know, I think when sometimes, you know, God is wanting to speak into our lives, sometimes he, you know, he'll raise up a Nathan. Or he'll raise up somebody else over here. And I think it's important that, that we, you know, look at it in an honest kind of way and say, you know, is that evaluation accurate? Is that true? Um, I think that honors God, you know, to be open you know, to those kinds of things. And again, we know there's people that are going to criticize everything all the time. Um, but I think be careful that we don't um, treat that kind of situation with a broad brush and paint every criticism in that kind of way. Now remember, over in chapter 1, he was speaking here very clearly to the Gentile world. Now as we come to chapter 2, he's speaking not only to the religious person, but he's speaking to the moralist. He's speaking to the person basically who considers himself a very moral person and that they simply know the truth. And he says this here in verse 4. He says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And it's interesting, when we look at these, these, these attributes, they, this is what they are, attributes of God. And we're to see also, too, those virtues, you know, within our life. But, you know, the natural, the natural mind despises uh, and deems these things weakness. Uh, when you talk about, you know, people will say, well, yeah, he's just a goody-goody. Well, thank God for the goodness of God. And thank God for that at work in our life. Uh, I, I think there's another translation that also um, uh, translates that as Kindness. You know, there's, a, there's a, a proverb that says, what is desired in a man or in a person is kindness. Isn't that true? Don't you love being dealt with in a kind, gracious way? Uh, when you think about forbearance, and we've talked about this a number of times, we alluded to that word, it means sort of putting up with things. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, we say about people, well, I'm sick and tired of them. I'm not going to put up with that anymore. I've had it. I'm giving them a piece of my mind. And think about how much God puts up with you. <laughs> I know he puts up with me a lot. And I'm gracious. I'm thankful for that. But he wants us to be. He wants us to, to in a sense, to mimic these wonderful uh, attributes, you know, long-suffering, um, sometimes we have a problem with short-suffering, don't we? You know, let, let alone let it be long-suffering. 
And again, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And he's speaking here about the person who doesn't think they have any need for repentance. And repentance is simply this. It, it's to have another mind, to change my mind. Or, or it also means to turn. And, and we will find ourselves in situations where God's spirit is involved there and he's wanting us to change, maybe change our attitude. You know, change our mind about something or to turn away, you know, from something. Because, you know, the thing, you know, God sees the true personality. He sees the true individual. And nothing can be hidden from him. Everything is open and visible. And, you know, when I think about, when I think about, you know, being, you know, kind and gracious and good and forbearing, um, there's nothing, there's no one has ever been or nothing been more gracious and forbearing and loving than our Lord Jesus Christ who hung on the cross in our place. And even while he's there, they're spitting on him. They're mocking him. I mean, when you read the crucifixion accounts, man. And just like Isaiah said, he would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. And sometimes, you know, when, when somebody says something to us, how quickly, you know, that tongue can lash out. Like a little sword like a little knife, you know, in, in response. And, you know, we know that we can all do that. We can all, maybe perhaps we were like that, that soon as somebody said something to us, man, we just flashback kind of a thing. But don't you find the Holy Spirit restraining you? I think you do. I, I find him restraining me from doing the things that I would have normally done. Did you turn the heat on back there? Now I'm sweating. <laughs> We were freezing a minute ago. Now I'm sweating. <laughs> well, it's, it's feast or famine. <laughs> but notice what he says here. It's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Isn't it interesting when we were just a few weeks ago when we were in um, the book of Revelation? How we saw that when judgment came, what are people doing? Judgment doesn't lead people to repentance. It's the goodness of God. It's the kindness of God. Did, did, did you ever <laughs> see the guy walking down the, the sidewalk with the sandwich, sandwich board that says, you know, uh, you sinners repent. Uh, the end of the world is near. Uh, do you see people flocking to him? Not exactly, okay? Now, somebody may get saved. We were, we were talking about uh, homosexuality last week. And I don't know if I said this in first service. But would you ever see, you know, when there's the, the pro-abort group and the anti-abortion group and sometimes the signs... Uh, and, and you see signs like, God hates fags. Do you think that that's going to bring anybody to Christ? <laughs> I don't think so. There's something wonderful about the compassion and the grace and the love of God that melts your heart. It just has a way of melting your heart. When God sends somebody like that to speak into our life, 
And sometimes the hardest person, <laughs> you can just, just have a tear in their eye when they sense the love of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God. Remember, the scripture says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Sometimes, if you go into the Septuagint, Old Testament translation uh, in Greek, mercy sometimes is translated love. <laughs> now, he says in verse 5, but in accordance with your, and he's speaking to those uh, that were being critical, judging other people, they just sort of hard, you know, hard in their, you know, and I think that happened to many of God's people uh, in the Old Testament setting, which we see that kind of attitude take place when Jesus came. They were so hardened in their position that here is the Lord himself walking among, him and, among them, and they're going to put him on the cross. You know, sometimes religious people can become very hard, hard about their position. And sometimes I've noticed, you know what, you can be right, but you're dead right. And sometimes I've seen people that are not right, not accurate, not accurate theologically, but their attitude is right. And he's speaking here to these folks who were, he says, in accordance with your hard, hardness and impenitent heart, uh, are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. You know, think about God's judgment. It will be absolutely fair. It will be impartial. And you know, many people who laugh, they laugh and they mock you know, at the judgment of God when you, when, you, when you talk about that. And I think we have to um, talk about it and bring it out in the right context. Um, but I think oftentimes we see this mocking about it uh, in our culture, in our society, this laughing at it. But imagine the panic that will come upon a person when they have to kneel before the Lord. Because the Bible says what? Every knee will bow. So much easier to submit now, isn't it? Everybody will submit to God. It's just their attitude is going to determine in their life, uh, you know, how they live. They didn't want God or didn't need God. It's going to determine, you know, where they spend their eternity. When I read this line, hardness and impenitent heart, I couldn't help but thinking, and I, I went back to an Indiana Jones movie. Do you remember when Indiana Jones was trying to find the Holy Grail? It was supposed to be the, the, the chalice of Christ. And when he, found, when he finally found the chalice of Christ, that was, that was the big target. But in the, in, the, in the map and the directions, in order to find it, it was simply said this, only the penitent men will pass. And he had to go through all, this, all these different, um, uh, like, uh, you know, sort of like a, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, um, No, a, uh, I can't think of it. You're not either. <laughs> but uh, he had to pass by all these different, you know, um, things that were going to kill him and the obstacles. And, um, and so he kept quoting, only the penitent man, man will pass, which meant that he was supposed to go low. And it's true, isn't it, that there's something beautiful about humility. There's something beautiful about repentance. You know, many people look at the Christian and say, you know, well, you need God, you're weak. And that's just, that's just pride. 
God's created every one of us to need him. And, and the Bible speaks of, you know, Jesus says, I am meek and lowly. You know the word meek? It actually, when you go into the etymology, the, the, the original meaning of it, it means to have great strength but under control. To have great strength but to be under control. And we're under what? That control of the Holy Spirit. And what, that's what we see, don't we, taking place in our culture? People freaking out. People losing control. Rage taking place. Very sad. He says these kind of people, they treasure up. In other words, you know, as we go through life, we're making deposits in our bank. We're making deposits in the bank of life. What are we treasuring up? Rewards. But many people, unfortunately, they're treasuring up wrath. Uh, in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. So again, the basis for the righteous judgment of God is basically what a person has done. How they've lived. They've committed their life to Jesus Christ. And really, that's, 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 the, that's the, really the final issue, isn't it? We can only live right because of what he's done in our lives. But when a person doesn't want him, the life is never right. That's why I think so often a person will go through life thinking that if I do enough good, if I just do enough good, hopefully I'll be acceptable with God. Nobody can do enough good. No one. It's impossible. It's only as we believe in the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ. His life was the atonement for our sins. Nobody can, nobody, everybody, that's why we're, we're going to find out as we go through this uh, epistle here uh, that basically, you know, no one's worthy. Everyone stands guilty before God. We all stand, you know, in that place where we have need. But you see, God doesn't leave us there. God doesn't leave us there. He came in the person of his son to give his life, to pay the debt that we could not pay. To live the life we couldn't live. That's why there's a necessity that when we come to Christ, His Holy Spirit comes in us. He wants to live through us. I find so often I come up against, you know, barriers and, and, and inability in and of myself to do what the Bible calls me to do. And, and it keeps bringing me back to this place where, Jesus, I need you to live through me. And that's what He wants to do. He wants to live through us by His Spirit and empower us. Anytime that we come up against you know, some area of temptation, some weakness, some, some insufficiency, some inadequacy, because we know, we, we, we read our Bibles, we know how a Christian should live and what a Christian can do, but so often when, we, when we're faced with it, we feel inadequate. We feel like, I can't do it. Have you had struggle, maybe forgiving somebody that really, really hurt you? That, that, that shows you right there, this whole basic thing of, of forgiveness. It's, it seems like it's so basic, but yet we come to places and times. We just simply, we cannot do it. I cannot love that person the way I know I need to love them. Now, in verses uh, 7 through 10... We conclude here with two roads, two destinies, 
but there are only two. Somebody says, all roads lead to God. Well, they do. They lead to the white throne. The white throne of judgment. There's only one road that leads to heaven. And that's why Jesus said, I'm the door, I'm the gate. And you have to go through him. And people will just, well, why can't I have my own religion? Why can't I do it my way? Some of you will say, well, I like Buddha. I'm sorry. Not going to work for you. And people will complain about that. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the only way. I am the truth, the only truth. I am the life, the only life. But isn't it wonderful that he made a way? <laughs> he made a way. It's just that human nature, we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves and say, okay, Lord, I bow the knee. I bend the knee. I bow my head to you. Now, there's a contrast here in these last four verses. Uh, one is the God-seeker, and the other one is the self-seeker. And that's usually the way it goes, right? When we're not seeking him, self kind of takes over. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, they seek for glory, honor, immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness. You go down to verse 9, uh, tribulation, anguish on every soul who does evil, of the Jew first, and of the, also of the Greek. And, you know, I wonder for some people that go into a lost eternity, we, we know that there's going to be, you know, wailing, gnashing of teeth. There's going to be just incredible. I, I, I think for people that are so self-willed, I was, I was in the Wegmans the other day, and uh, I'm going through the aisle, not the aisle, but through the, the, the checkout, and there was a mom with a little boy. And I didn't realize he was in the next aisle. But I've never heard a child scream so much in all my life. <laughs> he didn't stop. He, it was just endless. And I was, for, in the beginning, I was laughing to the, to the attendant there. I said, is somebody dying here? <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. Because it sure sounded like that. And she wasn't, you know, she wasn't spanking him or anything. He was just having a fit because he didn't get his way. And I was thinking, you know, that poor mother, that poor family, they're going to have a rough life. They're going to have a very rough life. And it's, isn't it amazing the self-will um, that can, you know, that if it's left un unchecked, you know, what it can be like. And there's people that go through life, and their life is just tantrums. They, they had tantrums in the classroom. They had tantrums on the sports field with their coach. Now they have tantrums with their wife or their husband all the time. Now they have tantrums on the, on the job. And I kind of wonder about the, a person that ends up in a lost eternity. Because I think there will always be some people say, how could I have been so wrong? How could I have been so wrong? 
And that could be true of anybody. And many of us at one time or another, we have been wrong. But we know the one who's right. And isn't it wonderful that he loves us so much that he will correct us, that he will discipline us. Always remember when God is working your life to bring, to bring about course correction that he only chastens those, a special group of people that he chastens, those he loves. Sometimes you feel like saying, Lord, why are you loving me so much? <laughs> but glory, verse, uh, verse 10, is our final verse here. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good. To the Jew first, also to the Greek or Gentile. It may sound, as you look at that last verse, that someone may work their way to heaven. But it's not. It's only, we're not, no one's working for salvation. You're working from it, right? Remember Jesus said in the gospel, he said, when, when those guys, those religious guys, Pharisees, they came to him. And they said, what must we do to do the works of God? Because they thought they could attain it. They, could, they thought that they could procure it on their own. As, as if they were good, good enough or could do some incredible, fantastic deed that would open the gates of heaven. And Jesus said this, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom the Father has sent. Oh, the power of faith. The, the power of trust. That there's nothing that anyone can do to procure or earn or gain heaven. The work's been done for us. All he wants us to do is to believe what he has accomplished for us and to keep believing that. To keep walking in that kind of faith with all of our imperfections because he's the perfect one and he is perfecting that good work that he began in you. Amen. He's doing it this week, each and every day, working his perfect work. Oh, Lord, help us to cooperate with you. Help us to yield our life to you.